If you have an interest in horses and love learning more about horses, the horse industry, teaching, or even managing your own horse business, then you're in the right place. We would love you to join us on our mission, which is to improve the lives of horses around the world through the education of riders, handlers, and trainers. So get comfortable, listen in, and enjoy. Horse welfare and safety are of utmost importance where humans have any interaction with horses. Within the courses at International Horse College, we only utilise methods that promote safe and humane ways of interaction between horses and humans. We only support safe methods of educating riders, handlers and trainers about horse welfare. Internationalhorsecollege.com, registered training organisation 31352. Our guest today is someone with a little bit of a different background. Andrew Bow is also known as the barefoot blacksmith, which is a bit of a contradiction in terms anyway, thinking that a blacksmith usually works with metal and puts metal shoes on horses, but he's a barefoot blacksmith. He started off as a traditional farrier, became a master farrier, and then after about 15 years of shoeing horses and thinking to himself that there's no way you can ride a sound horse without shoes, he had a change of heart. It's that change of heart that we're going to talk to him about today. How are you today, Andrew? Oh, I'm good, thanks. Good. I haven't been hurt yet today, so that's always a good thing. <laughs> All right. Andrew, we start off with a favourite quote normally. Do you have a favourite quote, just something that you might either use as an inspiration or something that you might regularly say to people about their horses, you know, what to do with when you're shoeing them or how they could fix their problems? Oh, well, I don't know if my favourite quote is directly to do with some um, horses and horses' feet, but um, yep. I've always thought that the human condition is um, best inspired by last words of, uh, of famous people, and, and I always go back to the, the famous last words of um, Breaker Morant when he said, uh, shoot straight, you bastards. <laughs> yes, all right. Uh, that, that works on so many levels. Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, it does. And I just wonder, you know, it's your favourite quote. How often do you say it to people? <laughs> regularly <laughs> okay all right Andrew starting with horses you know and I don't want to just go with starting with horses but why did you start to become a farrier you know was that the job that was offered had you already had a horse background or what made you get into shoeing horses in the first place oh look I think I was just in the right place at the right time uh, I was never going to be a farrier um I just happened to graduate from college uh, in, in about 1990 when there was a um, was a, a widespread recession and a drought down in our part of the world, and there was no work around. Uh, and so, in fact, the only job available was that of a of an old farrier who was retiring, and he was looking for someone to hand his work over to. And and, and I guess I just fell into it, <laughs> uh, the right place at the right time. Yeah, yeah, pretty lucky on your part getting into something like that. You know, particularly during a recession. As, as it turns out, yes. Yeah, yeah. For someone now who wants to start, whether they become a farrier or start to become a professional hoof carer, if we say that, you know, if they're doing it as a barefoot blacksmith, what sort of core skills or character traits do you think they need to have, you know, just to get started in the first place into that industry? I think um, definitely um, the certain core skills um, which come with the uh, with the training on the job and specific to hoof care and probably, um, you know, applicable to everything in the horse industry um, is um, a, a sense of safety, um, not, not getting oneself into a uh, into bad places, um, so that's all, all OH&S. But probably um, the character traits 
necessary, I think, for anyone who wants to venture into um, such a, um, a rigorous industry um, is is obviously got to have a, a um, be physically capable. But I think more than that, even is to have mental toughness. Um, it's it's a tough job, and day in day out, to keep facing up to um, such a such a tough job. Um, you, you've yeah, I think you've got to have a reason for um, reason for doing it. Mm-hmm. You know, because there's lots of different areas within the horse industry, and it just might be something that someone would like to get into. But as you say, the physical capability is quite hard, quite tough. Oh yes, even when things are going well and um, and 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 you're not getting hurt by horses, it is actually physically tough. But at the same time, you know, um, I, I still think um, after 30 years, I've, I've hardly ever done a day's work because I, I reckon it's just um, it's just good, uh, it's a good enjoyable pastime out um, playing with horses. Mm-hmm. And um, if you can put the toughness aside, the job's fine. Yep. Yeah. So I was going to say, what's the best thing? Is it the best thing just being out with the horses all the time or the best thing about working in that industry? Oh, well, the best thing is working with horses, without yeah. a doubt. Yeah. And it's just a bonus that we get to work out outside in all sorts of weather. And we also never really know where we're going to be on Monday. It must, must be a terrible thing to know where you're going to be next Monday at 9 o'clock. Yes, yes. So plenty of variety, plenty of variety working yeah. outdoors as well. Yeah. Yeah. And obviously, of course, being being one's own boss has its benefits. Yeah, yeah. What about the old guy who retired? How long? How long was it? I mean, how long did you spend with him while he showed you the trade? Oh, now which one was that? When, was when you first started? Well, I had um, a, a th- at least three three different mentors that I can sort of bring to mind. Okay. And one who only just died this year, Hugh Yarman, who I worked alongside with for many years, and um, he was he was a farrier right up right up to the end, actually into his eighties. So um, there was I was very lucky. I had um, yeah at least three mentors I could think of. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Who were they? Do you remember their names? Yeah, it's quite a while ago when you oh, first yeah, started. Look, yeah, yeah. I, I'm quite um, happy to say um, Bernie Shaw, another another old um, old bushy from yep. um, up yep. in the Highlands, um, and um, who was into heavy horses, and um, and the other one would be um, Wayne Anderson, mm-hmm. who was a, um, a master farrier from Mansfield, who um, who um, actually went on to um, leave the farrier job and actually did a lot of um, a lot of schooling with um, a. a, a well-known horseman by the name of Buck Brenneman, and he actually brought Buck Brenneman and, and his schools to Australia. So, um, wow. yeah, yeah. So obviously a, um, a very progressive thinking farrier. So I was just very lucky. I was lucky to have um, um, be mentored by all of them. Yeah, yeah. Did you have much to do with Buck Brenneman when he came to Australia? Oh no, no. I was just a little. Um, I was just a little pleb in the background, um, <laughs> watching on in awe. Yeah, yeah, and, and unfortunately, because I've been you know, fairly married to the job ever since, that I've not had the time to go on with um with much other than horses' feet. So, yeah. I've, um, but I've seen seen the great effect that um some of these um natural horsemanship uh, teachers have had on on um you know, horse people across the industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, but no, unfortunately, I haven't really had much time to do it myself. What about handling, you know, because you're saying that across the industry, and I'm just wondering, handling horses 30 years ago and handling horses now, do you think people have got more of an idea of the best way to get the best out of the horses? Uh, yes and no. Um, I, I think the, um, the the level of education is is fast improved um, and um, and on the whole I think people have um, become a lot kinder to horses. Mm-hmm. But on the same token, I think um, 
the um, the softening up of society um, has has meant that there are people who are probably too too soft on horses, and to the detriment of horses actually pushing them around. Um, but on the whole, I think the um, level of horsemanship has improved out of sight. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the, the, nowadays, it's a, it's a totally different world. Like I think across the board, thirty years ago. Those of us who were in various uh, industries, um, there was before the internet, and the, the flow of inf- information around the world is just lightning fast now. It's just unbelievable. Yeah. So ideas just get passed on. Yes. Amazing. Yes. Okay. Okay. Now, I know that you went from shoeing horses, where you thought that you couldn't ride a horse unless it was shod, or you couldn't keep a horse sound without shoes on. And then you went to Barefoot. Tell us about that time and, and what made you change your mind from going from a farrier to a Barefoot blacksmith. I, I guess it, it's all to do with uh, chronic lameness and horses that um, uh, end up um, either breaking down so that they can't uh, can no longer perform under saddle or uh, you know, or no longer sound in, even in the paddock. Um, when I believe is prematurely uh, you know, early teens, mid-teens, uh, and... I guess it's the frustration, what uh, was the frustration, of, of not being able to help these horses. Horses that suffer such problems as navicular lameness, ring bone, side bone, degenerative coffin joints, uh, arthritis, chronic laminitis, uh, all, all those sort of degenerative conditions. And from a traditional point of view, um, back then really only having metal shoes as an option um, could not help the horse. And so um, when I began to hear about the um, some some of the um, I guess the, the progressive uh, researchers in the industry, uh, both farriery and veterinary, um, and most mostly overseas, having some success in in turning around some of these conditions, but doing it not with shoes, but with um, with getting the shoes off, and either going barefoot or using the uh, the, the newly emerging hoof protection. Um, yes. Device, if you want to call it that, of hoof boots, yes. and and getting getting results. It's pretty hard to ignore it. And so, I guess one thing led to another. And um, what started out just um, helping out lame horses on the side, and still shoeing the mainstream horses, gradually became a um, a journey to well, let's just um, instead of putting shoes on everything that moves, let's just say well, shoes might be needed, but they can be the last resort rather than the first resort. Mm-hmm. In the racehorse industry, because you're a you know licensed track farrier, what's the current ruling or what's the current thinking with shoes? I know they have plates to race, but what's the current feeling about no shoes? Okay, well I think the racing industry, as big as it is, is a very specific part of the industry of mm. the of the equine industry, and there is there are rulings that stipulate a horse must be either shod um, with a race plate for race day yes. or it must have a tip on that covers at least one third of the hoof and horses are not allowed to actually race barefoot and I can see that is um, purely from the um, point of view of the of jockey safety um, from slippage um, and I think that's got to be number one in the racing game is jockey safety um, but I think the other thing about racing industry it's very very short term uh, it's yes. all about short-term gain from a two-year-old to a four, five, maybe six-year-old, and, mm. and it's not about what happens to the horse you know, down the track. 
So I, I think on the racetrack, and I still am a racetrack farrier, I do the local races, that's probably how it's going to be, probably how it's always been, probably how it's always going to be as long as racing survives. Okay, okay. I, I think racing's got challenges bigger than bigger than that facing it at the moment. Yes, yes. What about other sports? Do you see much change in other sports, you know, other competitive horses that are out there doing quite a lot without shoes? You know, I know that there's been quite a lot of dressage horses that, Taken alternatives, yeah. yeah. It is very. It's a very interesting industry, um, the, the equine industry. When you immerse yourself in it, and I think it can be pretty much divided up into two camps with very little, um, very little um, overlap between the two. And one camp are, are the people who are competitive first, and barefoot. If horses going barefoot has has any negative effect on performance, horses aren't going to go barefoot. They're going to be shod. Um, and that that goes even for for horses in on dressage arenas, um, and it, it's it's still at fairly low levels mostly where where the um, the innovation of barefoot has been sort of um, seized upon. Uh, I think um, it, it's not it doesn't seem to be until a um, a more competitive person has a horse that that suffers a problem where. The only option is to get the horse out of shoes and go barefoot. That's the time when they actually will go barefoot. Mm-hmm. And I can't see that changing much in the near future because um, the other thing about shoes, shoes are very convenient, convenient okay. for the horse owner. Yep, 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 okay. But, but having said that, the the, um, the barefoot side of the industry has grown uh, enormously over, over the last few years, especially with the um, with the onset of um, really usable hoof boots. And do you find that then? Because I know you've got you know you sort of are in touch with the US, and that's what got you interested in it. What about other countries? Are other countries traditionally barefoot. You know, do you see any other changes around the world? Well, I, I guess um, I'm probably stuck in my little corner of Australia, and, <laughs> and I probably. Um, not, not a great participant in things on on the internet, so I'm not really sure how things are going in other okay. countries. Okay. From what I hear from those who do come uh, to Australia from most places, particularly the states, and discuss such things with us, that Australia actually apparently seems to be leading the way in um, its um, uptake of um, of you know, barefoot as a viable option. Okay. Okay. Tell us about the horse. That you that, like your proudest case study. That, that's a hard question to, to answer that because um, <laughs> for one, I don't I don't know if proud is the right word, um, but but it's, uh, there's so many horses that we've um, yeah, we've been able to sort of um, you know keep them alive, and not only that, actually you know get them back into having a useful life and a sound life. There's been so many over the years that I, I probably can't even single one out. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I, yeah, so it's probably not being proud, but it's probably just um, you know, I guess it's the great feel-good moments when there's a horse that you know one one day it's been, you know, um, it's got you know two feet in the grave, and yep. then and then you know sometime later it's it's back doing what it wants to, what it's meant to do. Yeah, yeah. Sounds like you've got lots of proud moments then. Well, we're, we're running the rehab centre at home at Mayfield. Yep. We've had a probably for the last. I don't know, 15 years now, we've had a constant stream of, of horses going through. And you know, obviously we can't save them all, but the vast majority we, we've been able to save and nearly always uh, bring back into ridden use. Yep, good, 
Good. Now, thinking about your thoughts of there's no way you can ride a sound horse without shoes, how big has the challenge been? Because you've changed. You've decided that, you know, we're, we're doing a lot more experiments with barefoot. What about the challenges with other people and convincing other people? Is that challenging or not? Or Yeah, tell us a bit about that. Look, I, I guess um, again, I, I go back to the um, to my thoughts about the industry being divided into two camps. Yep. Half the time, I'm preaching to the choir, mm-hmm. and people don't need any convincing. You know, but they they know what's best for the horse, and they can find a way to do it um, with boots and poly shoes and tips and things. Um, the other half, you know, it, I guess it's not so much about trying to convince anyone because that doesn't seem to work. Um, it's, it's about you know, leading by example and having yeah. a lot of clients leading by example. And, and probably, I guess, what's what's in our favour is um, as time passes, and, and that's the really good thing about now, it's been about 15 years that we've been doing this, there's horses 15 or thereabouts 15 years ago that have had soundness issues that were pretty much washed up. And, yes, now they're old horses, but but 15 years later, they're still they're still in the game and they're sound, um, and probably that's that's probably what does the convincing more than anything else. Yes, yes. Okay. Now, Andrew, thinking about people that do have their horses barefoot. Okay. So you're saying that, and I think you'd prefer to have um, them done, you know, every couple of weeks, just sort of keep them in the the same shape rather than a drastic change every five or six weeks. People looking after their own and doing their own trimming, what do you think is the biggest fault that there is that, you know, that they just need to be made aware of? Just something that they would commonly do that would be to the detriment of horse that um, you might even go and do a clinic somewhere, show people how to um, do some work with their horses and come back 12 months later and say, oh, hang on, we've got to do this a bit different. Is there something common across there? That you're seeing again, yeah, again. Yeah. Well, probably the biggest thing, and, and it, um, it it probably applies equally to beginners as it does to professionals, mm-hmm. is actually the good old fashioned left hand, right hand bias. Ah, uh, yes. And yep. people trimming harder with one hand than the other, mm-hmm. and not recognising that they're doing that, and then over time, um, the foot becoming distorted because they've been trimming too hard with usually with the right hand. Um, most people are right-handed. There's, there's not many um, of us perfect left-handers mm-hmm. around. Um, and so that's probably the biggest issue, and it's about pointing that out. And fortunately, if people start looking for it and, and recognising and owning the fact that they've got a bias, um, it's usually not a big issue. But by far the greatest proportion of, um, of um, horses I see that are getting trimmed by owner trimmers, it's, it's hard to fault the feet because the, the, um, the, very, the very act of trimming every couple of weeks keeps the feet in optimum framework, and it's just... Um, that that that's the that's the answer to to, um, to soundness. It's just okay. amazing. Yep, yep, yep. If you're an equestrian coach or a horse riding instructor, or even if you aspire to be one, have a look at the free video series for horse riding instructors on the Horse Chats website. Go there now. Have a look. Horsechats.com. All right, now Andrew, you've got a book, or you've got a, a just the one book yourself. Oh, at this stage, one one main textbook yep. and we've, we've got a smaller book um, a smaller general book the, the big the big textbook we wrote well, a few years ago now about laminitis and um, you know documenting how how we actually um, can actually turn turn it around for horses with laminitis with barefoot rehab yeah what's the name of that book uh, the name of the book is the, the pony that didn't die 
Yep. And what was the other book that you, you've got? Oh, it's, it's God, now I, I can't even think of its name off the top of my head. <laughs> I think it's just Bear Hoof Care. I okay. think that's what it's called. It's, okay. only, it's only a small book, about 100 pages. Yeah, yeah. Is there another book that, that um, someone else has written that you would also recommend? Oh, now that, that's a tricky one. Um, there's that many good books. The, the um, What's one that you've learned from? Well, I, I, I've learned from heaps of books. Probably um, you've got, you got me on the spot there because um, – <laughs> I know this probably sounds a bit strange from a um, from a barefoot person's point of view, but but the, the book I probably learnt the most from was a, a book written by an American farrier called Doug Doug Butler, and that's the principles of horseshoeing, mm-hmm. because that that covers more than just horseshoeing. That covers the, the whole gamut of um of of horses and and having a business as, as a farrier. Um, probably a bit outdated now with what I know, um, but, but I, I suppose that's probably a book that initially, for the first 15 years of my life, was, was a great inspiration. Okay. So, Andrew, what are you looking forward to now? You know, in the next year, two years, what, what are you looking forward to? What does your future hold? Uh, more of the same. <laughs> <laughs> you must be enjoying what, doing what you're doing then. Oh, look, it's a good thing. It's, a, it's great to get back get back on the tour, get back playing with horses, yeah. Yeah. It's um, it's not a bad office. I mean, it'd be it'd be really good to um have the occasional day off, <laughs> and actually get to ride a horse um once in a while. But yeah, look, I don't know. At this stage, more of the same. You know, with um, it, it's still um, the, the the rehabilitation industry is still in in its infancy. Um, the barefoot rehabilitation that is. So <laughs> there's more um, there's more horses than there are people who actually rehab them, and I, I don't see that changing for a little while yet. But when, when the time comes, it'll be good to be able to step back and just um, take it a bit easier. Yeah, yeah. Okay, just in a couple of sentences now, can you summarise your philosophy of Barefoot? Look, I guess it's all about aiming for long-term, lifelong soundness for our horses, um, not just the blue ribbon next weekend. Um, and so I, I reckon um, the, the way I usually say it is that success should be judged according to the calendar and not just to the clock. Um, yeah, you know, it, it really is about the long term and what works for the long term. And, and sometimes, unfortunately, that there is a um, a, a bit of um, mutual ex- exclusion where um, the, the the fantastic results you can get, you know, now this competition season next weekend, it's not in the horse's best interest in the long term. Yeah. But it's 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 also about yeah, and about finding that balance. Mm-hmm. Okay, Andrew. How can people contact you? Probably to email um, through our website, which yeah. is um, bearhoofcare.com, um, to email the um, the office, and um, and the office can pass on the emails to me and um, make sure I um, I sit down and reply to them. Mm-hmm. Not known for my abilities to reply to emails and messages. <laughs> there. Lucky you've got some good staff there in the office too. Got very good staff. Yes. Andrew, those um, details as well, just in case anyone didn't get them, they'll be on horsechats.com slash Andrew, um, B-O-W-E, and otherwise just go to um, horsechats.com or search for B-O-W-E or Andrew. Okay, Andrew, thank you for sharing your knowledge today, taking the time to talk to us, and um, hopefully we'll get you back again sometime soon so you can give us a bit more in-depth knowledge about the bear wolf care. Thank you. No worries at all. Thank you for your time. Bye. See ya. Bye. If you've enjoyed this chat, then please comment, rate and subscribe. 
If you'd like any changes or recommendations for guests, then please contact us through horsechats.com. And while you're online, have a look at the government accredited courses at internationalhorsecollege.com. Registered Training Organisation 31352. Remember that our comments and instructions are general in nature and do not take into consideration your individual horses or your individual ability and circumstances. If you enjoyed this podcast, then please leave your comment below 